We've got a sponsor for you this week. This week's episode is sponsored by Status. Status app lets you chat, browse, and transact on the Ethereum blockchain. Take control of your own private secure messaging. Use dApps on mobile and secure your assets. Download the app today where you get your mobile apps or at statusim slash get. That's statusim slash G-E-T. The Bitcoin podcast will also be in the TBP channel of the Status app to give out a little SMT and let you play around with these features and start chatting privately today. Enjoy the show. Hey, welcome back to the Bitcoin podcast. That's how we're starting now on Corey. Like a 1930s jazz. <laughs> the, the Bitcoin podcast. Episode 299. That's a lot. We're going we're on a three burger soon. We're close. What's what's th- episode 300? We're just going to get wasted, right? Isn't that what we're doing? And after I feel coming back from Paris, I don't know if I can handle it, but we can try. We're gonna get white girl wasted, and we're gonna um, we're gonna talk about Bitcoin. Uh, so, uh, welcome to the Bitcoin podcast. I'm the host that talks first. D. I am another host, Dr. Corey Petty, and we got a co-host, a guest co-host with us today, Mr. Ray That's Redacted. Right. How are you? Yes, occasional and intermittently. Uh, it's been a while since I've been here, but I have been listening to all the episodes, so I don't feel like uh, you guys might be missing me, but I haven't been missing you. How We've been that? missing you. <laughs> There you go. I forgot it. Welcome back, well, Ray. Well, Corey, if I, I do want to make sure I say congratulations on uh, congratulations on the uh, the new promotion, the, the new CISO. Congratulations. That is a very uh, esteemed position to be having, and I know you're going to do fantastic at it. Thank you. I really I really appreciate that. Um, I, it's, I'm looking forward to seeing what changes, how it changes, and and what I learn going on here. It's, it's there's a lot of stuff going on at Status, and having overview of it is kind of like one of those things that's like, it's a never ending interesting job, but like that's kind of mm-hmm. where I wanted to be in the first place. Like, sure. Do you wear your sheriff badge in meetings? Oh, absolutely. And I have a, <laughs> I carry a six shooter on my side yeah. and I, and I put a cowboy hat on my dog so that others can see that too. You should just like do play on security every meeting, like dress like a bouncer one day. <laughs> do security. <laughs> like I'll allow it. It can go through. It can go through. Um, what is that like? So you just have to show up to meetings and say, I wouldn't recommend doing that. It's a lot of of reviewing, (laughs) a lot of reviewing things, trying to make sure that the things that we do are safe for both users and the organization. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a, there's there's a lot of hats you have to wear simultaneously, uh, at least so far in my experience. And it's basically just trying to assess risk where it exists, however it can manifest itself. And then making sure whatever you're doing as a company is um, managing that risk appropriately. So that's like the 10,000 foot view of what security is, in my opinion. Have you found yourself yourself, uh, tempering what you say, like on the podcast or anywhere else since uh, you've taken on the seat? (laughs) That was an easy question. Yeah, it's kind of the wonderful thing about status is that it's 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 we're like we're incredibly transparent and open. So like I don't. I don't really have to temper myself or manage anything. I mean, when I'm on podcast officially as status, then I kind of put on that security marketing role. I don't, I don't act like an asshat as much as I do on this show. But uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. We don't give a fuck. <laughs> hey, D, you're coming to us from undisclosed location number three today, aren't you? That looks like that's, a new uh, <laughs> new right. place for you. He's right? everywhere. It's everywhere. It looks really, it looks really ominous too, doesn't it? it well, it almost looks like a prison. I didn't want to say that because I was afraid it was yeah. going to sound a little in- inflammatory. But oh, uh, no, the uh, uh, I am not a part of the prison pipeline. <laughs> I am still in an undisclosed location in the United States, um, soon to be revealed. It's like an episode of Twenty Four. It's like some Jack Bauer shit. So suspenseful. Uh, no, how's everybody's week? Good, good. I mean, totally 100% occupied by this uh, COVID-19 coronavirus stuff. So I'm assuming we're probably going to end up talking about that today. How about you? Yeah. It's pretty good. I don't have the Rona. I'm looking forward to getting it, though, because I did get the swine flu when I was in college. And I was like, what the fuck? When I when got you were the swine me? flu. Yeah, man. I remember, remember that. that shit. Yeah, I remember that. I couldn't that was, go uh, home. That was gross. <laughs> it was pretty gross. It didn't feel good either. 
But at the at the same time, I was like, I survived the swine flu. You know, bring this shit on, bat flu. So I'm ready for it. I got my water. I got my Motrin. I got like, I got all, I'm ready for it. I'm going to kick this thing's ass. So I spent, I spent the last week in, in Paris for uh, like a status meetup and the SCC event, which is like the larger Ethereum based event that happens in Paris every year. And um, I don't know, like I brought my wife with me and her family and like we didn't, I guess it, I don't know. I've never been to Paris before, but there didn't seem to be much of an issue uh, with most people. You could definitely see it, though. You definitely see it happening in public spaces. A lot of people have also said that um, like, uh, it was a great time to be in Paris because there weren't many people there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, did, they did shut down the Louvre and a few other things. Uh, they did or, or did not? They did. They shut down for a few days, wow. and some of the flights were also shut down. So it's kind of worrying, but you know, don't go to public places don't don't sneeze in people uh wash your hands standard stuff you would do to try and not contract uh, an airborne mm-hmm. flu-like pro- virus it's fine and I, I, the conference was great i had a really good time i've learned a lot and i'm tired and i don't feel good but i think that's just from like exhaustion of doing so much during the week and all nah, the time stuff you got that rona maybe that rona. maybe i have corona who knows well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you next week how i feel <laughs> Have you guys been to Costco since you've been back at all? Have you been to the grocery store or Costco and no, seen the toilet paper panic? The toilet paper panic. <laughs> we're well stocked here at the house. I don't, I don't worry about anything like that, really. Damn. I want to see this shit. I need to go get some toilet paper. No, you do not. Yeah. You, I thought you joined the 21st century and gotten a bio bidet of some kind. Yeah, you would say bidet thoughts I for use, all these years. I use dude wipes. Okay. I use dude uh, wipes. They're the best. Well, I'll tell you what, if if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking about going and panic buying some toilet paper, I would recommend you panic buy some Bitcoin instead because we could we could use that uh, price action right now. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody in crypto was sad to that end, Ray. They were sad because they were like, oh, Bitcoin's going to be the safe haven. And we touched on this last week when Andy was here. Shout out to Andy. I hope he heard that. But. I think that like it's I mean, I was saying it last week. It's clear that like Wall Street bought Bitcoin in that last bear run and it's doing everything they want it to do now. And people can say like, oh, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, D. And I'll say like, you know what? You're probably right. But you might be wrong. And I could be right. And that's as far as that goes. <laughs> as far as that goes. Champion. Championship right. argument right there. <laughs> that's how I debate. That's if I were on the debate stage, you're wrong. You're right. You might be right. But look, um, the price has been moving and like uh, mirroring the Dow for, for, for a while now. Like, I mean, it's not like mirroring the Dow. Every once a, that? It's either lagging like one point and 2018 at one point, the price was actually leading the Dow for three months. And people didn't see that as the Bitcoin went up three months later, the Dow went up. And that happened for a good 12 months. That happened for an entire year. But what I'm saying is the correlation between Bitcoin and the Dow is is is, is strong enough for me to think that like, oh, okay, like Wall Street's been in and Wall Street's in for a while and Bitcoin's going to do what they want it to do now. All the weak hands sold and they're probably living cush right now, paying a little taxes, but living cush. And Bitcoin is now in the hands of other people with other interests um, that don't care too much. And 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 that's just my theory, and I'm sticking to it. But now you'd said that because of the when the futures went on sale for CBE, that's when we started seeing a lot more manipulation, right? Was that that was your that was you that said that yesterday, last week, right? Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the problem with that though is, and I've always been skeptical about TA, right? Anytime I see a chart with a bunch of lines, I've always been a little Me skeptical. Both, but <laughs> but what you're doing there is actually tea leaves, right? <laughs> you go backwards in time and say, oh, this is what it was. I remember one time, I think it was on this podcast, maybe. I don't know who said it. I, I, actually, I actually use chicken bones, Ray. Chicken bones, okay. okay. I do not use tea leaves, sir. Uh, but I, use- 
I do remember one time in the crazy heyday, somebody had said, hey, listen, we can expect an upsurge in price because all the Wall Street traders are getting their bonuses this week. Do you guys remember that? It was like two or three years ago. Who was that? I don't remember who said it. I remember it being said. Um, I don't remember who said it, but I do remember that. Because yeah. I, the reason I remember it is because I fell for it and thought, oh, man, I got <laughs> I to I jump on this right now. Yeah. It's it hey, it's right around that time again, guys. It's March. The Wall Street guys are getting their bonuses. So why don't you go ahead? <laughs> go ahead and pour in. But but if you forward the tape forward on this coronavirus thing and it gets really, really bad, like think they come some of the worst estimates, you know, for yeah. you know, a million a million Americans die or something. What happens to Bitcoin's price then? Well, I don't know, man. I don't think anything. I think it's, I think it's like, it'll be pretty, it'll be bad for a short amount of time if it gets to that point, but it's not something that's going to be, have long lasting effects, especially in the Bitcoin market, in my opinion. What about the fact that we've seen conferences being canceled and that a lot of times conferences have had an impact on development and networking and price action and all kinds of other stuff. Does that going to have any impact at all? I don't know. I feel like it's a lot of it's broken. Uh, away like a lot of the old ta stuff in my opinion doesn't work very much anymore or as as good as it used to because it's not really based on any long-term data it's just people trying to read short-term data and do short-term prediction and because the the community is so small relative to the larger the larger financial in, like industry it's going to remain incredibly volatile not based on Mm-hmm. Like huge market movements, like like the 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 amalgamation of a bunch of different entities, because Bitcoin yeah. doesn't do anything at the at the current at the current point. Like I, so Wayne said this earlier, actually this morning in the Slack. Uh, so shout out to Wayne, and he had this like meme that he's thinking about, which I kind of like, and that is a uh, Bitcoin equals have, Ethereum equals do, and alts equals wish, and I think that's a pretty good, at least you know at a service level, a moniker of what. These things are trying yeah. to represent, and in my opinion, the concept of value of have is really boring because it's all based in speculation, not by utility. Or it could be, like, or based on like the way the world works in today's society, isn't a matter of like it just it all all, all funds will then no. flow into a short amount of people, and you don't have anything interesting anymore. I'm going to throw a little pushback at you. And it's not that Bitcoin doesn't have utility. It just doesn't have the utility that piques your interest. Oh, but the, the thing is, is the utility associated with it is a meme. It's a meme based in um, the scarcity of Bitcoin over time. Everyone knows how many coins there will be and how we're going to get there. Um, yeah, but, but that's it. That's, that's not, the only thing you that's, have. That's and, not a meme. You can fulfill that same type of thing in almost any of the other cryptocurrencies. That same use case is basically fulfilled for almost any of the other cryptocurrencies. It's a social contract. And for one thing, that social well, contract can be changed over time. Well, it's not a meme to a lot of people. It is. It and... literally is a meme because it's a social contract. It's something you say and something you believe that is, is what puts value behind this thing. The 21 million cap for Bitcoin is not hard-coded for eternity. It's hard-coded until the majority of the Bitcoin community decides that they'd like to change it. Yeah, but look at how impossibly difficult that is to hard fork off and change that. That's a meme. That's why it's powerful and strong. I'm not, I'm not saying it's, I'm not, I'm not considering this a bad thing. That's actually the most valuable thing that Bitcoin, the Bitcoin community has is the fact that everyone, uh, for the most part, the vast majority of people who use that network agree that that's one of the most important things it has. And that's the, that's the only way you can build any type of value from it. Yeah. Now, what Taproot, it remains to be seen what things like Taproot and Schnorr bring to the table in terms of utility and what you can do with the underlying protocol. But for now, what, what, all you can do is hold it and then maybe trade it for goods and services, which no one's really doing. You, you can buy stuff on the dark net markets because that's what, looking back at what we, uh, we discussed in the previous episodes about dark net markets, that seems to be the, the main use case for nation states uh, engaging in illicit finance. Look, we literally pay people services in Bitcoin. We don't matter. It's, we're so small yeah. and, we're, and we're so relatively like 
worthless compared to the overall markets and the, and the amount that we pay people in Bitcoin in that well, we yeah. don't matter. All of crypto doesn't matter if to that end. I mean, like yeah. I think Warren Buffett could take a shit and in the amount of time he took a shit, it would be worth more than the crypto market. Like I'm pretty sure there's some math in there to figure that out. <laughs> the, old, the old Buffett shit bombs like that are way Buffett, more valuable. Buffett shit than back in math. All right, we'll figure that yeah, out. Yeah, that are that are way bigger than the crypto market. But um, I think that have having Bitcoin is important. Like having a value that's kind of separate from other kind of values is always important, man. If you, oh, I agree. you always I want have to some. have different. I have it. I own it. Forms of value. And Ether is the do. It needs to get way better at the do aspect, though. It needs to start really bringing the thunder with the do because people are just going to outdo it in a private way in the far, far, far background. And nobody's going to know or care. Like with Cash App now, you can use Cash App internationally, like with no fees, I think. And that's just like, what are they doing? Okay. Huh? What are they doing? I don't know what they're doing in the background to no. make that possible. What are they doing when they use Cash App with Bitcoin? What do you mean? What are they doing? He's saying they're buying buy drugs, Bitcoin. He's implying. He's implying doing anything. Using. They're just fucking buying it and holding it and hoping it goes up. There's no do there. That's still half. Ethereum is doing a lot. Like, what do you what do you call the entire? No, no, no. I'm not talking about Bitcoin in that aspect. I'm talking about like using money, okay. like with no fees internationally. No. That, that yeah. was supposed to be that was supposed to be like the crypto golden like that was our holy grail. It's like oh, you can send money from point to point across the world with no well, fees. I would say Ooh. that was that was a that was a vehicle to get people interested, uh, which had to be which had to be moved um, outside of the like the larger or the smaller group of people that started it, which really 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 cared about uncensorable money. Mm -hmm. Like they all, they all, and that was a use case because. There weren't third-party regulatory industries censoring the movement of money from one place to another across seas. And so that was an obvious use case for uncensorable money or value transfer, whatever the hell you want to call it. And now that's no longer what people, I guess, say Bitcoin is used for. It's more of a storage of value. They don't care about moving it overseas because it turns out it's really hard to actually use it once you get there. Uh, so it's hard to make reasonable impact on people's lives until those those problems are fixed. Then any of these cryptocurrencies don't work very well. And so mm -hmm. it's gone from a storage of value. It's like, all right, well, just when you have some extra money, which is a very small amount of people in the United and in, in the whole world, maybe throw some of it into Bitcoin. It could be worth something sometime. That seems to be the underlying idea of what people are using Bitcoin for, unless I've just fallen apart from anything. In the new. States, yeah. In the States, yes. In places that are more affluent. Yes, more Western. Yes, there are very small pockets of places in South America, Central America, Africa, um, even I'd venture to say like maybe Japan, Korea that actually use it, like use it to do stuff. And that's all crypto, especially yes. Korea. But so, Corey, your your argument is actually very similar to something I heard um, I heard Mark Cuban saying this week, which is that if the only value period that's out there is what people believe the value to be, which that's true with everything though that's definitely true with us dollars right if no one believes yeah. in the us dollar it's worthless too i mean it's i think the difference is is you're saying it has to have a utility also in addition to people believing in it as well right so it's that's gotta, be like gotta be better or something it's gotta be better than <laughs> yeah. something like it can't just it can't just provide the same utility we've always had it's got to provide like a significant like provide that utility at a much higher efficiency or provide something new that you didn't you couldn't do beforehand. Now there are things you can do with Bitcoin you couldn't do beforehand, but that's not what we're talking about. That's that's not where most people try to convince others to get into it. And that and that yeah. like and that like uh no longer offloading responsibility or taking charge of your of your financial data isn't isn't the meme that people want to latch onto that's going to give you that broad adoption. That's that's a movement yeah. that's across the board for all I guess what I would say real, quote unquote, real cryptocurrencies is that kind of censorship resistance and controlling your own data uh, slash value. But that's not what we're like the current, I guess, marketing mainstays that I'm hearing are not pitching that. Mm. Like, look what at the DeFi, look at the DeFi industry, right? Uh, like what's what all the, uh, we can. I, you can, I think you can safely say that "quote unquote" DeFi or decentralized finance lives solely on Ethereum, despite what anyone else says. 
Um, that can is we not, not called an industry. Call it whatever you just, want. Movement. Marketing pitch. A fun, a fun grouping of ideas. Yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> but like, that's just rebuilding the financial industry in in a way that allows you to, I guess, one take ownership of your own data while also being exposed to a lot of like advanced financial tools and options, which is a lot of inclusion that you currently you previously didn't have. Like for instance, I think I'm staking die on Oasis and I get a return I get seven percent return on it over the year. And I can stop start that whenever I want and I can maintain it. No one could no one can stop me from doing that apart from breaking the smart contract. But like oh, that's yeah. not that's not what we started this podcast for. It's <laughs> definitely not. I mean, things things have uh, definitely morphed and changed over time. And I don't know when it comes to value. Well, one, let's let's hear about that Mark Cuban shit. Yeah, like, I got to I want to hear what this bitch had to say. Sorry, <laughs> Cuban. Like, I I shouldn't say that. I should edit that out. It's pretty hard. It's pretty hard, pretty hard out. start there, D. <laughs> I just he gets on my nerves, man. You haven't he even heard it. Sometimes. All right, all right, all right. I can start it. So this is coming from um, the Ask Mister Wonderful podcast number twenty. Kevin O'Leary and Mark Cuban. I guess uh, the first question. Um, you can just YouTube that. It's on YouTube. It's, it's will coronavirus cause the next recession? First question of this like uh, interview with the two of them is is a guy asking about cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and he has I guess. Here's some interesting takes. So I'm going to play it. And then when one of you says stop, we'll stop and talk about it. Hello, Mr. Wonderful. Nish here from Oxford. My question to you is that what do you think the future of blockchain and cryptocurrencies are? Okay, Mark, that's perfect for you. <laughs> blockchain and cryptocurrencies. A lot of people think they're bullshit. So blockchain is different than cryptocurrencies. Right. Blockchain is a feature of cryptocurrencies but not all cryptocurrencies are used just for blockchain. So let's take them in two pieces. Crypto, how much of your dough do you have tied up in cryptocurrencies? None. So you think it's bullshit? Um, I don't know that it's bullshit, but you have to ask how to value it, and people value it in different ways, particularly blockchain, I mean, particularly Bitcoin. So with Bitcoin, some people value it as a store of value, yeah. which makes it like baseball cards, art, um, gold and they have value they have value because people see value in it not because they have intrinsic so you, you say they have no intrinsic All right, value pause pause okay so that doesn't make any sense Mr. Cuban uh, and you're not a bitch I apologize <laughs> wait I thought you edited that out already uh, <laughs> he'll forget he'll forget and it won't get edited so we're just gonna go assume he doesn't <laughs> okay well anything that has value was once proposed, all right? That's why you call it a value proposition. And it's not until that proposition is accepted as, okay, it does what it say it does, or I kind of believe that, or we all have a consensus around that value, that it then has value. So this whole intrinsic extrinsic thing is like, I think it's kind of BS. Like some value is just easy to see, right? Like, oh, steel, clearly we need it for shit. Like it's value proposition is that we need it for shit. And guess what? It fulfills that proposition. So we continuously use it for shit. So that's it's like such a stupid argument. And one, to compare Bitcoin to fucking baseball cards is just retard, one, because baseball cards suck, and so does baseball now. Oh, everybody everybody knows that. Hard so, argument. Look, yeah. You can't compare it to baseball cards because there's like entire billions of dollars of fucking, what are those things called? Uh... Quan, not quandaries, um, um, where they make computer chips and they make graphics cards. What are they called? Like the, the, the area they make them, the building they make them in. The foundry? Foundries, yes. Making uh, Bitcoin miners, making ASICs, making like people are investing billions of dollars for Bitcoin mining farms all over the world. To secure and keep Bitcoin going, to secure and keep Ethereum going. Every single proof of work chain right now has billions and billions of dollars invested in it to continue to secure that network 
to continue to secure that value for whatever it may or may not be. All right. Uh, I know it's not fucking baseball cards. So, so I'm going to have to put a pause on that one. Uh, no, don't pause me. I'm still going. All right. I'm going to fuck that argument up. All right. Like this whole, okay. What is Ethereum's value proposition? Uh, a, a decentralized computer, probably like the, the, the compute of unstoppable contracts, which are basically like little programs. You, once you make them, they don't stop. So you have an automated computing platform that you can't stop. That's where a lot okay. of it came that that spread from Bitcoin. Bitcoin did this, but it, it's limited to the only the concept of uh, UTXO transfer. Now, how many people that bought Ether? And 2017, 2015 to 2017, heard that proposal. Probably all of them. It's kind and of what the because was. of that proposal. Or no, it, no, it was a platform. It was a platform, and it was brand new, right? Like, it was like your chance to get in on the ground floor of something brand spanking new, and almost everybody wishes they could have done that with Amazon. And Ethereum is the closest thing we've ever seen to Amazon on the blockchain. talk to you a little bit more sponsor of the show this week status and today i want to call out uh the many listeners who are building dApps on ethereum to tell you how to get your dap in the hands of all the status app users status app itself is a mobile web 3 lets you chat browse and transact there's a lot of cool things about the status app right now let's talk about the dap explorer status app uses dap.ps that's referred to as dapps as an on-ramp to use ethereum dapps on mobile Maybe you've heard about DeFi, want to check out KyberSwap or DeFi Zap. We'll get some S and T and F, load it up in your status wallet and use dap.ps, D-A-P.ps to get DeFi on mobile. Take your decentralized permissionless finance with you. Already we're seeing tons of excitement around mobile dApps in Web3. If you've got a dApp, head to dap.ps, check it out, follow the instructions for staking and get your dApp ranked and featured or email stake at dap.ps for more information. What's really neat about the Status App Dapp Explorer is that it automatically creates a social channel for your Dapp. So you've got a place where Status App users can find and use your Dapp, but also you've got the built-in private and secure chat functionality to build a community, do Q&A, FAQ, support, or even meme building. What's that you say? You're not a Dapp developer? Why not? Status has a suite of developer tools to get you started building, testing, and deploying Web3 Dapps with Embark.io. You know, you see projects that raised a bunch of money in their ICO in 2017, and then nothing. Some crappy wallet, maybe some marketing partnerships, but status is shipping consumer products, dev tools, and fixing Ethereum and basic peer-to-peer networking and communication protocols. The team is legit. I'm on it. Decentralized and open source. Check out everything they're up to at thestatusnetwork.com or start with the status app at statusim slash git. That's status.im slash G-E-T. Back to the show. Boom. I want to get in on the ground floor. Why? Because I could get off on floor 55 with a sure. big ass bag of money. Sure. Like that's the value proposition. Sure. So and it's never not been the value. Here's the of here's the difference between those two things is that like they're in my opinion, you're you're separating underlying utility, like current utility versus speculative utility, the proposition of future utility, if you will. Mm-hmm. And like you cannot the problem is where volatility lies. Um, if you have a base level of understanding and of the like, you, the utility that's of the underlying utility of, of of the of the platform, say Bitcoin or Ethereum, you understand how it's being utilized and the amount of value that associated with um, the people using that. Say, for instance, mining and the amount of energy used put into mining gives you a base layer of what a coin should be worth because that's the uh, that's how miners can make money. If they can't sell the amount of money they make in the process of mining to keep their ongoing energy costs uh, at rest, then it's not worthwhile. And so like, that that balance, and that's a hard balance you can quantify. Then you have like underlying utility of whatever it ends up offering, and then the market share you grasp from that. And so whatever utility you have, you can you can quantify, and it's hard to argue against it. But in terms of speculation, it's always about the future. What can this ha- what, what can this do? Uh, what potential markets can this fill? And how much of those markets can it, can it take? And with that, the you're happens. always going to have volatility. And what he and I think what 
like most people don't understand is that the value associated with all cryptocurrencies right now is drastically dependent upon speculative value and not underlying utility. Well, sure, absolutely. But like when Mark says, oh, there's block, not all blockchains are Bitcoin and not all Bitcoins are blockchain, which is a very, very tired argument, Mark. And I think you got it backwards, actually, when you yeah. said it there. But, um, you know, that's like that's ultimately like saying, you know, the Tesla has nothing to do with EVs. Right. I mean, they're valued almost more than Mitsubishi and Chrysler combined because people see the promise in it. Right. The speculative, the hope to get off the 50th floor or just the idea that, man, people are going to do some really amazing things with these yeah. way beyond what they can do today. Right. This and is just I mean, blockchain has proven it. to be a very disruptive technology and a very narrow use case. Yeah. But the one that everyone cares the most about is crypto assets, period. Right. Because money makes the world go round. Yes. And and like that's the strongest value proposition. And I think that there was something I spoke to you with. Uh, what's his name? Jack Tater when he came on the show a long time ago. And he was talking about there's only it's not as binary as just speculation and utility when it comes to an investment or a value proposition of something, some asset that you own. It's not that binary. There's this like gray area in between you. I, I don't know what else to call it except for like utilitarian speculation. Like it's a speculation that has the utility of keeping the thing alive, keeping it going and keeping it mimetic like Tesla's right now. There's very good speculation around if electric cars take off and how that's going to form society. And people are making bets. I'm literally thinking about launching fucking snack machines at Tesla charging stations because I think that they're going to be fucking everywhere. And I could become like a, a hundred thousand air off of people wanting a Snickers bar while they charge up their fucking Tesla. But then I thought about it for a long time and I was like, oh, that's just basically a gas station. A bidet thought? So, yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, I was like uh, oh, it's basically a gas station. They're just going to make the gas stations better for people that drive electric cars. And, and I'm already behind the curve there. And like, I was like, but like, that's called like, I don't know, core speculation, whatever it is that keeps something exciting and mimetic and people wanting to put time and money into it. It's more like right? uh, so, required infrastructure, right? Speculation on required infrastructure. Exactly. And like people speculated in West Texas about if wind energy was going to take off or not. And there was politics involved. Most likely there was all kinds of bullshit involved. But now if you drive from central to West Texas, you're going to see like, I don't know, a, you're going to see a long stretch of windmills, like, I can't even remember, Corey, you remember those drives. Like, you just, you just see hundreds of miles of windmills just pumping out energy. That was a speculative bet for somebody. That was a speculative bet for thousands of people, probably. But now look at it, right? So, why is he wrong? I mean, why is he wrong huh? here? Said, why is he wrong here? I don't, you still haven't really quite gotten to why he's wrong. Like, why he's wrong about it being akin to like baseball cards or a collectible is because. Uh, we live like this is something I used to talk to you when we first started the show. Uh, we live in a very privileged monetary world. We don't see money like other people see money. In fact, the U U.S. citizens don't see money in value like other people see money in value because we're so different. And we've had so unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, it just is what it is. We've had so fucking much of it for so long. We live in this weird ass world that other countries just frankly don't live in right no other country like we never have to worry about getting credit or finding capital or these things just because it's so readily available if you played the game right but in other countries that's not the case in greece it wasn't the case in south america it's not the case in lots of places in africa it's not the case in pieces in eastern europe it's not the case that's bitcoin's value is it is a form of money that you can use that's separate from a shitty government that's going to fuck you in the ass really hard. Green side, pineapple first. You really got the, Not really the yellow got the, side. They got the cussing on lock today. Yeah, man. I mean, this is, oh, sorry, kids. Go buy Bitcoin. <laughs> Go buy Bitcoin, kids, if you're listening to this. Not investment um, advice. Yeah, look. But how does that make him wrong, though? How does the pineapple green okay, side? I think, what D is trying to, I think what D is trying to say is that, like, at least based People on what you said it. so far, is that, uh, Baseball cards have no utility, like utilitarian value to them. They're only a speculative vehicle. There is, yeah. but, and also you have just like scarcity, right? 
the value that's derived from the speculation is only through scarcity and the uh, I guess proposition of having a card of a given player at a given time. Like you want you want old Nolan Ryan's, you want, you want old whatever. I don't know baseball, so I'm not going to try and say which ones are valuable. Uh, you know what I mean? And so it's small. Like that that's that's all it is. There's but there's no utility to any of that type of stuff. It's just a group of people trying to you know, f- stunt on each other based on the things that they have that other people don't. Whereas Bitcoin has underlying value, underlying utility, as well as speculative, like speculation around a scarce asset. It does both. I think he's ignoring the former. He's totally ignoring it because he's in a state where he can afford to ignore it. And plus, when you're winning in one circle, why are you going to start touting the other? Well, he doesn't understand. Like He doesn't like gold either. And what I would say, if I had to guess... I could explain Bitcoin to him in a way that he's never heard before. That would give him a different intuition on why it's useful or blockchains really? in general. Yeah, I would almost, I would almost guarantee that. And he's more than welcome to come on. Like if he, yeah, if, I, if, come on. if if he gave me an hour of his time, I would explain him. I'll explain to him this this concepts of all this stuff better than anyone else, better than anyone anyone has done for him so far. I would imagine most of the people who have explained things to him are doing some from a propositional point of view. Like they want to be in with him or like get him to do something so they can profit from it. Uh, I don't really care. Sure. If he wants to throw money at me, I'll take it. But that's not why I want to talk to him. And and that's, and I feel as though with people like him in his position, which then turn into, uh, I guess, social media influencers on how you're supposed to think about these things, never really get a good explanation uh, from people who understand the baseline utility of what these things can do. They only get speculative, like speculative ways of looking at yeah. it. Especially from just, someone like him, where he's like, he is he is a, a tech investor, for sure, and he understands technology better than most investors. If you look at like just the people in that, in, in the and in, in like the like what's it called, uh, Shark Tank. I think mm-hmm. only two of them Shocks. are all like tech investors. Yeah, I think it's GoPro guy and then Silver Fox guy on the far right. The guy's got the slick, slick back hair. A lot of it but i just it's what's crazy to me is that even in the crypto community after a decade now people are failing to see the ingenuity and kind of genius of bitcoin and we're like relegating it to these these words that have poor connotations like meme and this and that dude the cat of bitcoin is out of the box like if 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 the difficulty drops if the he difficulty puts cats drops, in boxes, not bags. If you didn't know, dude, I fucking launch cats in boxes, bro. Like uh, fastballs. If the difficulty drops, then more industries coming from left field than you can possibly imagine are going to try to get into mining Bitcoin, because at that point it will be cost effective for them, and the sure. ROI will be quick enough for them. Assuming Bitcoin they can get access stopping. to the associated oh. ASICs to do so. Exactly. Whatever that needs to happen, but it's gonna because people like money and they're greedy. So Bitcoin is happening. It's here. It's got utility. And the longer it's here and people steep slowly developing on things to allow for it to easier to use, then it's going to get this utility. It's just that we're really far ahead of the game. And to rewind it all the way back to the safe haven thing, we're really far ahead of the game. Like people that like gold right now are people that tend to be a little bit older. I mean, what, I'm not an ageist. I'm just saying, like, if you're 50 or older, you're probably going to go to gold before you're going to go Bitcoin. It's what you grew up with. It's what you know. But people like, I don't know, 25 and younger, by the time they get in their 30s and 40s and they start, what am I going to do with these extra piles of money that I have because I've been working for about a decade or 15 years? They're going to put that shit in Bitcoin because they've heard about it for 20 fucking years and it's still ground and it's still kicking and its value is still slowly going up over years. Like we're just really, really far ahead of it. That's all. Okay. So if we want to keep listening to Cuban, fuck off, we can. But Ray, you got something before we do? Okay, here we go. Can I continue off? What is the intrinsic value of gold then? I mean, minimal intrinsic value for manufacturing and jewelry, but not enough to justify the the price of gold that's typically that it typically trades at. The be, the delta between the intrinsic value manufacturing slash jewelry and what it's being sold for, what it's um, being valued at on markets, is what they call store of value. 
because people want to invest in it because they think if certain circumstances occur that it like will like a pandemic for example. whatever it may be yeah that people other other there will be potential buyers at that value so they see it as storing value and they do so it in gold. It sounds like you prefer to own gold to store value than crypto. I prefer neither right now. Okay. Because I've never been a gold fan. Because, the, like I said, the delta between intrinsic and trading value is what people invest and see in it. Um, but it's no different than tulips. It's no different than baseball cards. Oh! It's no different than a lot of different things because it's only worth what you think someone else will pay so for. You're it. basically saying it's a speculation. Yeah, of course. Okay. All right. Now, he basically kind of just said what I did, but I don't agree with the way how he said it. Um, there is a differentiator with Bitcoin, and that is um, assuming that the underlying 21 million Bitcoin meme stays strong, which I believe it will. Uh, we understand the circulating supply of Bitcoin better than any other speculative store of value asset that's ever existed. And, and, and the future mm -hmm. of it, right? And that yeah. is something that it, that no one else can really say. Like, there's no other baseball card, tulips, gold around where you have a very, very strong idea of the relative scarcity over time to then, I guess, prognosticate, if you will, what the store value will be based on demand. That's true. Yeah, I mean that's a well that's a well way to put it as well. Um, that's way better than Cuban put it. The baseball cards tulips argument is just frustrating. I've been hearing it for so long at this point. It's like you can't keep saying that yet the values keeps going up all the time, and every single thing that's considered a performance metric goes up and to the right mostly all the time. At a certain point, you say, okay, maybe this is not tulips. Maybe this is something different. And maybe let's in, let's just start investing more time into seeing what this is and everything that surrounds it. That's all I'm saying. And I would argue the thing that we probably know that's the closest to the 21 million that will eventually exist on this immutable distributed ledger is IP addresses, right? If you think about IPv4 addresses, we're just going to leave v6 out for a second. Um, there's about 3.7 billion that exist. When that first came out, everyone thought that was a ridiculously high number, and we could we'll ever never that. run out. <laughs> we could never ever run out of them, right? And yeah. also, there were people up until the '90s that said no one will ever pay money for IP addresses because you just you just ask for a Class C and they give you a Class C, right? Well, today the market for IP address resale on IPv4 addresses is white hot, right? I can guarantee you the price per block of IP addresses is only going to go up because there simply will not be any more V4 addresses ever. Now, that's based on a tremendous amount of utilization. Like the, the, the speculation around prices is this based on the increasing demand of utility. Like sure. there's, there is a untold amount of utility associated with um, IPv4 addressing and how that gets guess, democratized and who controls it and so on and so forth. And and, I, and so, yeah, that's a great analogy, but there's no store value in owning an IP address. Maybe <laughs> Is there? I mean, I, there, there may be, but it's not nearly it's like on. that gap, yeah. I guess, the store value. And what he, I guess, to reiterate what he just said, quote unquote store value is the delta between what utility prices things at, which is like maybe like mm -hmm. energy put in through mining. That's your base mm -hmm. layer utility price and what it's currently being sold at. That delta, or however you calculate that, is considered a storage of value. Uh, and so like I think the majority of like IP addresses is the store value associated with them is relatively small compared to something like Bitcoin in like a relative sense. But that scarcity is hard-coded yeah, yeah, scarcity. That's a, that hard -coded, is a digital scarcity. Right? Yeah, 100%. And we came along with things like NAT, and there's ways of, of actually making them stretch further and further and further, which is actually paradoxically why we haven't adopted V6 is because we came up with so many creative ways to ad stretch the V4. Yeah, a, lot of, a lot of ad hoc <laughs> ways of... So basically, like, is it like what, he, what he's saying is that do you have uh, the internet versus intranet? Right, you get that kind of like that paradigm we talked about in, in previous previous episodes a long time ago, where like mm -hmm. 
the, the company has an internet on its own and it ties into the intranet on its own and it ties into the internet via like one single pole. Wait, so like, I'm stuck a little bit. We're running out of IP addresses. We've already Absolutely. ran 100%. <laughs> so when the IP address schema was originally envisioned, right, this was back when there were still just a few universities and scientific places on there. And so we only came up with 32-bit addressing, right, at the time, because that's all you could ever imagine needing whatsoever. And now we need way, way, way more addresses than that. I mean, um, to, to, to the factor where, you know, to, to a point, point where if you want to get a class C, which is 255 uh, addresses, you're going to spend 10,000 bucks on it nowadays. And so mm, what we did it. was basically allow ourselves to do like network segregation and have this like kind of somewhat fractal network topology where the internet is that kind of traverses this small subset. And then that, one of those IPs, a bunch of other like other computers that are routed together will funnel all their traffic through that IP to get to the other ones, right? And so you mm-hmm. have this kind of central network, then spiderweb other networks outside of it, and so on and so forth, so that everyone is connected, but it has to go through multiple hops to get to some specific place. And we have so a lot of like, technology on how to route that stuff. So it's like hierarchical deterministic internetting? <laughs> it's not a bad way of looking at it. But, but also like routing, which is a big problem. Okay. And that's why I like, so then that's like just, when Cloudflare comes down, like half the internet goes away. You know what I mean? Ooh. So then is, is Lightning Network just trying to like re like rehash that idea? Like, of- oh, there's huge, huge parallels between Lightning Network and all of these supposedly so-called layer two technologies yep. versus the internet. 100%, right? Even the OSI model itself is somewhat paralleled when you think about uh, layer one of the OSI model is the physical layer, right? In many cases, when they're talking about layer two solutions on top of any blockchain, they're really saying the blockchain itself is layer one, and then you're going to apply something across the top of it that would be layer two. And I think Lightning definitely <clears throat> is in that is in that realm for sure. Oh, that shit, right? You're getting that Rona. <laughs> Edit that out while you're editing out the F-bombs that you're throwing at the second gotta... largest billionaire in the world. Yeah. That's how I, I'm the David and Goliath type, right? I'll throw a stone at Goliath like he'll feel it. <laughs> so, so, so Mark Cuban, who, who generally is well understood to be an intelligent man and he actually reads a lot, right? Yeah. Obviously he's not read enough about this because he's rehashing the same old bullshit arguments, which are incorrect. That's and why. Actually, are actually that, relatively easy to dispatch. That's exactly why I say what I did earlier is that I don't think he's been, it's been explained to him uh, sufficiently enough. To the point where he can grasp it, because I know he's perfectly capable of it. Granted, he sure. may have he may have interests against the success of Bitcoin, and that may fuel one part of his argument. Like, look at like uh, what's his what's his name? The guy that the big the the gold bug guy, Schiff. Yeah, Peter Schiff. Yeah. Yeah, like there's there, the, he has he has financial motivations for Bitcoin not to succeed because he's so into gold, and has businesses that are reliant upon the gold market. So that I'm not saying that is 100% the reason why he feels the way he does, but it has some some underlying factor in that decision-making process, especially just even if you think about it in terms of where he's spending his time doing sure. research or the types of people he's employing to, to explain it to him. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I would tell you, I, I do think that Mark has actually endorsed things that he doesn't invest in himself for sure, 100%, especially around technology. But you can't help it. It's observation bias, right? It's whatever you're looking yeah. at. There's no getting away from that. It's going to be something that you're favoring. Yeah. I think Peter Schiff looks like he habitually gets into uh, bouts with Captain Planet. He's just, he looks <laughs> like he's a Captain Planet villain. And it's not his fault. I don't I remember that, what Captain Planet villains looked like. It's been so long. I just remember like the group and Captain Planet himself. That's all I remember. I don't remember anything oh. else about the whole show other than some like oh. water moving. There was this weird yellow dude who made out, made out of corn who had a orange mohawk and wore beach gear and was always trying to flex on Captain Planet. And then there was also a guy who looked like Peter Schiff who was always trying to flex on Captain Planet. Captain Planet was like, dude, like, please don't pollute. And he was like, man, fuck you. And he was like, pour sludge on Captain Planet. That was an oddly descriptive explanation. (laughs) So Ray put up a picture uh, while you were saying that. And it's a really good... Good job, D. Wow. Right off the top of your head, oh, dude. Too. 
Yeah, let me see. This is lo- it's loading up here. Yeah, those are Captain Planet villains. I remember all of them, yeah. Oh, that shit was crazy. All right, do we want to let him finish his argument so we can talk about the world events, or do we are we done with Mark Cuban for the day? Well, we're done, Mark uh, Cuban. We're, we're almost at 50 minutes here. We should probably uh, talk about something else. Yes, yeah. yeah, so, I mean, I think you know the one big thing I kind of mentioned at the top of the of the uh, of the podcast was really ultimately about this news story that is eating every financial page, every macroeconomic story, and every microeconomic story, and it's not just exclusively about whether or not Bitcoin is safe haven. Although I appreciate Dee's explanation around the the failure of safe haven theory to be proven correct or whatever, but it, this the coronavirus, the COVID nineteen coronavirus thing, is going to have some pretty almost permanent impacts on a lot of financial markets. Mm-hmm. And it's really been a wake up call to people about, uh, I would call it supply chain delicacy, like the delicateness of supply chains, right? Because we really didn't realize how intertwined we really have become, you know, with not just China, but everywhere, right? So to speak. So I think that's kind of an interesting uh, use case and story for blockchain. Cause right now today, you know, if I get a shipment from AliExpress, there's no way to know where it came from or what where, what factories it's ever touched, right? Mm-hmm. So you're saying, like, I, I, I haven't paid attention to this much um, over the past week or so. You're saying that the kind of global shutdowns in various ways of industry and their ability to ship things overseas is having a drastic impact on financial markets because supply and demand aren't being met the way we kind of projected it to. Is that is that like the, the overall view of how this what you're talking about? It's close. I mean, Wall Street is basically saying that supply chain disruptions, right? If you think in terms of like a like an iPhone, right? There's 47 inputs that all have to be relatively in time, right? You can't have huge lags in 47 of those inputs, or else it could affect the production of all of the other ones, right? Well, over time, and then when I say over time, I mean since 2008 specifically was when we last had a worldwide uh, economic downturn. All of those companies have gotten way, way, way closer intertwined, right? American car manufacturers now depend on a lot of overseas, you know, micro manufacturers or even 3D printer companies and all that kind of things. But even more importantly, there's so much manufacturing happening in China by firms that you've probably never even heard of before that when they're disrupted, when, when they're disrupted, when LCD panels stop coming out, it really does stop everything else. And that's why Wall Street is so concerned it's as cynical as this is, it's not the loss of life. They're more concerned with the supply chain disruptions and the fact that people are going to travel less because less business is done when people travel less. And look at South by Southwest. We talked about this yesterday. I mean, that's just a, that's a small case of financial impact of people not, not doing something. $350 million is small? I mean, that's the ultimate yeah. impact of the canceling South by Southwest. It's that's, $350 that's the, million. That's the impact of a single event in a single city. Yeah, that's crazy. Of something not happening. That's wild. And I mean, I know like LeBron James has said he won't play to empty arenas or whatever else that is. But if you think about it, in the history of not only humankind, but in the history of all animals, there's never been a species that 100,000 of them would gather together for four hours. And then that 100,000 would disperse globally within the next 24 hours. Like literally you would have people at an Olympic event in Tokyo that the next day would be in Moscow, right? And so we don't necessarily have immune system defenses for that kind of uh, globalism that's out there. (laughs) And so that's a little bit of, that's a little bit concerning as well. And then also the other side of that is, you know, 20 years ago, if there was a problem in China or a problem in Vietnam, it was possible that it did not become a global problem. Right. There was, it was possible that there was still isolationism. And now we're starting to learn, really, there's no such thing as, a, as an epidemic or a pandemic that doesn't affect everybody. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, and I will tell you, I think if you go to a concert or something like that and somebody ends up having coronavirus, you probably are going to want to know who was there. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's spreading fast, man. I think I, I follow this little John Hopkins website. And it's gone up 10,000 since uh, Friday and today's Sunday. Yeah. So, um, and that's globally, but still that's, that's a lot. Um, That's a lot, a lot. So it's, it's going to affect all the markets. Of course, it's going to, people are, are, people aren't too much concerned with traveling and spending money when they're like more concerned with making sure their loved ones um, 
especially the youngest and the oldest, are safe. So, that but do you think the long term, long term, will that affect Bitcoin at all? I mean, do you think people will eventually come to watch it, or do you think that we're we're, we're going to be looking at another bear because everything else is going bear? If that uh, Rona hits those mining farms in China, I, it's going to be rough. I don't know. It depends. It's yeah, it's hard to say. Like it's it's like it's a great hedge. Uh, at the current, at, you know, current prices of things, and where we're seeing things have, where we've, where we've seen prices go in a short amount of time, I, I'd consider buying any like Bitcoin or Ethereum great hedges to what could potentially happen over the next three to six months. But D, it's not the farms that you have to worry about, not the mining farms. It's the it's the production facilities that make the chips, right? The it's the um, it's the ASIC manufacturers, right? Because they're mm-hmm. the ones driving the difficulty up, aren't they? Yeah. Assuming they can yeah. continue re, like reiterating on the um, efficiency of new ASICs and the distribution of people who want them. Uh, and so if they can keep manufacturing things and even at a steady, even at a, even at a steady efficiency, uh, the rate will go up because there's a bunch of people who want to get in on the game. Um, but I mean, say there's say, say, say like the, a bunch of the facilities have to shut down due to health reasons. The, the difficulty will adjust. That's a, that's an automatically adjusting thing, and it may become. And if you don't have the distribution of hardware to facilitate the demand, then the people who actually have hardware would just be more profitable. And that's that's all there is oh. to it. Until and then that may that then that may trigger, um, the reason like it, it it being reasonable to start trying to manufacture ASICs elsewhere. I don't know. There's there's a there's a there's a huge market behind the process of developing, processing, yeah. and distributing the hardware that 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 mines Bitcoin. And as right now, spoke, it's very limiting. As we spoke, the largest drop in the calendar year on crypto is happening. So yeah. I saw four percent in one hour. I saw that pop across the RSS feed. Hey Corey, the conferences you go to, the Ethereum conferences you go to, if they're all virtual this year, if they're all web-based or they're all, um, you know, like uh, remote learning type, is that going to have a negative or detrimental impact on the community development that kind of happens in the hallways, so to speak, at those conferences, or is it not going to really matter at oh, all? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, yes and no. I'd say people will become more educated. Okay. And the process of a virtual meetup because you're like at least the way the way when I turn when I attend conferences, I spend the majority of my time talking to people and not listening to the talks unless there's something sure. that I overwhelmingly need to support or listen to to make my career better. Um, but the way most of these conferences have gotten is that you it's impossible to absorb all the material and they're recorded so you can watch them online. Sure. So like the 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 real value proposition of going to these things is meeting people, talking to them networking and socializing with and, and, and learning through like just standard conversations um, and being able to ask like random questions. It's, it's the ability for us to like kind of like what our podcast uh, presents to, to the, to our audience. It's going and doing that. It's giving you opportunities as someone to just go have a conversation like we're having with people when we make a podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's incredibly valuable, and it gives you a lot of soft skills, understanding of what the market is currently doing, who's doing what, uh, who's marketing a lot, so on and so forth. But uh, if that all goes virtual, you would lose a very large portion of that, especially like the parties afterwards and talking with people and you know doing like you know concentrated meetups of work uh, with with interested parties and so on and so forth. But what you do get is a lot better understanding of what's currently going on. Because people are be forced much more, much more inclined to actually listen to the talks. Yeah, well, that's been my experience as well. I mean, I've, I've, I've always said, you know, I've solved problems that I was struggling with for nine months on Stack Overflow in ninety minutes, you know, at a bar in a hotel because there were people there that knew what they were doing. For right? instance, like I guess, I guess, a, I guess an example of this is I've been, I've been struggling with um, the auditing process of Ethereum two implementations, right? And through a myriad of conversations with people who were doing this i think i've been able to come up with a like a a reasonably sustainable way to um audit the process of writing implementations for the ethereum 2 um, spec 
and then like and that and then I've been I've been struggling with this for a long time just by reading, listening, and talking on uh, virtually with people, and now I think I have something concretely in my head that I can I can start to spread out, and that that would not have happened had I not been in Paris with these people to talk about those mm-hmm. types of stuff. And some of those were at bars. Some of that was like dedicated meetup time to talk with people where there was no alcohol. Some of it was listening to a talk. Like it all kind of comes together in one place in a small amount of time. And that's what's that's what's really nice about physical meetups is you have the option to do what you need to do or want to do or discover a lot of stuff you didn't know about. And virtual meetups don't offer that, but they do offer a lot of education. And because what you get in people giving talks um, is a certain amount of um, dedicated effort into portraying a clear message of what they want to talk about, what they think is important. Whereas documentation, um, an article here and there, like the overwhelming amount of, of stuff doesn't quite give you a narrow focused and curated description of what they think is important or the message they're trying to get across. And a talk does, usually, if they're good at it. Mm-hmm. I, uh, no, I just remember I, I, there was this one time I wanted to go to a conference and I was like, man, I bet that Ray redacted dude is cool as shit. And then I went to a conference and he was there and I was right. <laughs> that, that's that's my story. But um, thank you guys for listening. If you're new to crypto, uh, sorry that we mostly ignore your existence when you're listening to our show, but we'll try to like help you feel good about yourself more in the future we've been we've been talking to crypto for a long time so we have a perspective that's a little bit different than um, a lot of the crypto podcasts you might you might listen to so i think our video um, upcoming video content we're working on is, a, is an effort to fix that yeah i think it's gonna be dope oh, tell think, us about that tell us about that Corey. it's nothing concrete here but the overall idea is to have kind of snippets of explainers of various concepts uh through video content so that yeah. um, when, you, when you Google, like, how does this work? Or what is this? Or so on mm-hmm. and so forth. You just have, like, short five-minute clips of the answer that then points back to the broader conversations, which is, the, like, the, the podcast that we have on the network. Yeah. We don't so tap into video. Could we, we put it on your messaging platform on the blockchain? Because is that possible? <laughs> I'm sure there's ways of that. Like, the messages, for, like, talking about status? Sure. Status is not on the blockchain, just for for clarity's sake. Like okay. there are messages never touch a blockchain. There are, you know, peripheral functionalities and features that utilize a blockchain, but the underlying message, ephemeral messaging never does. Oh, no, I actually did know that. We we've gone through that before. Okay. That's absolutely a v- fundamental part of the security of it actually is yeah. that it is not there. It, yeah. it the setup and teardown might be or some of the metadata might be, but no, the others others is not, right? The content's not. Yeah, that's correct. We could dive mm-hmm. We'll be diving into that a lot more because Status is a sponsor, which you've heard throughout the episode. As we, if you clipped in some uh, some sponsors here, but yeah. Dude, Status has been sponsoring us since you got a job there. We talk about Status <laughs> like every week, <laughs> like three times. Yeah, but now like now there's like a there's an actual financial support of the underlying infrastructure of the podcast. They're not. It's it's more than them just employing me and me being and me like loving my job, right? That's true. Like, That's true. Man, we're good people, Corey. We do good shit. You guys have a tricentennial coming up this week. I mean, and there's no plans around it. Think about how many podcasts get to the tricentennial level. I bet you it's way less than 1%. Somebody in the Slack will look this up for me. But I it's bet you also, it's way less than 1%. What you got to take into account is almost almost every single episode is between an hour and two hours. Like an hour, an hour and a half, right? And mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a lot of time <laughs> between like production, yeah. scheduling, talking, uh, post-production, all that stuff. It's, I think what's really cool too, Ray, is that we've done it, um, and we're a weekly show, right? We're not a daily show. A lot of people, a lot yeah. of people do the daily shows, and they're like, "I'm on episode seven thousand five hundred and seventy-six," yeah. and I'm like, "Why don't you just have seasons? Make the stuff digestible." But anyways, uh, holy yeah, shit! Man. And you only missed one time, right? There was only one time you ever missed a week. It wasn't that? Isn't that right? Or is it my Bitcoin that podcast? Wrong? There may be. It's under five Bitcoin? for sure. It's I remember being pissed because I thought the RSS was broken or something. <laughs> we definitely it's, got some pings every time it happened. 
It's definitely under five. It's, it's definitely was extenuating circumstances. There's never been a time where we just were like, yeah, we're just not going to have a show this week. Um, we just do it uh, every week, week in and week out, man. We're as reliable as like, what was that train that was really reliable back when trains were a thing? Timmy the Train? Oh, no, the Express. The, the, Pony, the Pony Express? Pony Panda Express. Express. <laughs> yeah. Did you say the Panda, Panda yeah. Express? Real reliable. Yeah. Their, their um, business is way, way, way down this week, by the way, guys. I don't know if you knew that or not. How do you not, know both, that? Why do you both know that? Corona, both Corona Beer and Panda Express are oh. both having massive yeah. oh, downturns geez. in their I business. I might go buy some Corona just so I can stock up on, on <laughs> decent on some decent beer. Oh, man. Um, thank Americans you guys for listening. Thank you for listening to another week. No interview this week. We do have interviews planned, though, with Wasabi Wallet, so you can look forward to that one. Mm. I was excited. Um that was supposed to happen while you were in France, Corey, but I held off on that one because I thought you would have better you're, questions. You're right. I, I got I got really good questions for them. I would love to yeah. dive into a few of the few of the things yeah. they do. I just would have been like, Wasabi, how spicy is your shit? Like, is it just is it spicy? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> let's see what else we got going on. Hashing it out. Um, they got an episode coming at you. And we are near completion of the final repackaging of just the headers into what the headers audios edited the imagery is being made so uh expect about three months of weekly episodes of what the headers which uh as you may have well you have no, no clue what that means but jesse and i uh instead of talking about the headlines we got curious and we went on this journey of curiosity to like relearn bitcoin um because despite what people say about being an expert uh they can fuck right off because bitcoin is it, it's it's tough it's tough and it's been tough for us to learn it. And then we kind of we're going to move into Ethereum in the second season, which is going to be dumb because Ethereum is even more complex and we're just kind of a little bit lost, quite honestly. But we're trying to make our way through it. And then the third season, we're actually going to try to make uh, a crypto asset, but it's not going to be one that's tradable. It's going to be one that kind of plays along with our goofy personalities. So uh, look forward to all that stuff. Other than that, Corey, you got anything? No. Ray, you plug happy, your... Happy 300th, guys. I just want to say happy 300th. Thanks for coming yeah, man. on, man. Always happy to see you. All right. Play the outro.